Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We've been talking about knowing God's will and hearing God's voice or knowing God's will and being led by God. We discovered that it is God's will for you to know his will. How about that? It's God's will that you know his will. Amen. We talked about a lot of things that the Bible already tells us what his will is and we don't need to pray about. We don't need to get special direction about some things. We know it's his will that we be healed. We know that it's his will that we walk in uh, health and life. We know it's his will that we work, that we have jobs, that we don't have to pray. I don't know, do you think the Lord wants me to work or not? Well, if you're an adult, yes. Unless you're raising a child, yes. It's his will for you to work. Amen. Glory to God. Well, is it God's will for me, you know, to, um, to go to church? Yes, it is. You don't have to pray. Well, I don't know if I should go. Yes, you should go to church. Not only go to church, belong to a church, participate in church, be a, be a vital part of a church. Well, praise the Lord. I don't want to get off on a lot of different sermons. Be easy to do. Praise God. God has a plan for your life. It involves the church. It involves everything the Bible says belongs to us. We don't have to pray about those things, but there are some things that it's not so clear about in the Bible. The Bible doesn't give specific uh, uh, detailed direction about all the different details of life because of all, all of our lives have different details. Amen. And so uh, we found out that most people, when they try, Christians, uh, especially Christians, when they try to determine God's will for their lives, they look in all the wrong places. And they look uh, primarily, the most common thing is, is that people look to their circumstances. They look about at, at what's going on around them, what's happening to them, uh, in order to determine what God is saying or giving direction. You know, if they, if they have a, 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 an interest in following a particular thing and they don't know if it's God's will or not, most Christians just look at what happens and if things happen that seem to push them in that direction or, or in another direction, they think, well, that's God. But we determine that God doesn't direct us by natural means. Amen. We're not moved by circumstances. We're supposed to change our circumstances. Find out what the Bible says and then do something about our circumstances. Amen. The Holy Spirit is our guide. God has provided a much better way of being led than, than uh, uh bumper, you know, pinball machine type life where he's bouncing from one thing to another. Amen. In Romans eight fourteen, it says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Turn over there and look at it with me. Romans eight. And I know I'm rehearsing some things that we've talked about in the past, but it could be that people weren't here or people are tuning in on video. And this is the first time in Romans eight fourteen, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We found out that when it says as many as are, that means all who are. That's what that expression means. It means all who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if people are being led by the spirit of God, it's because they're Christians. It's because this is the way God leads his children is by his spirit. He leads all of us by his spirit. Amen. Amen. God has a unique way 
of leading his own children that's not available to the world. Why is this? What is it about believers that is different from the world in regards to how he would lead us? Well, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and they don't. (laughs) Jesus said, whom the world cannot, speaking of the Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because they neither know him nor see him, but he says, you know him and and he dwells in you. He will, or he will dwell in you and he does now, amen? So believers have a unique capacity for receiving guidance from God. Uh, If God was gonna lead us by influencing our circumstances, why would we need to be led by the Holy Spirit? Any unsaved person can be led by their circumstances. Any unsaved person can just and look and see what's going on and which, which way they're being forced to go and what their opportunities are and just assume that must be God's will. No, that, that, that's, that's living life in a very, on a very low level spiritually. Amen. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not an incidental feature of our redemption. We'll say that again. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not an incidental feature or aspect of our redemption. Instead, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as our teacher and as our guide is the capstone of our redemptions. Once we are born again and made uh, a part of the body of Christ and, and become God's children, the greatest and most important thing is, that's happened to us and the greatest and more, most important thing we have is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now let me, let me talk about this for a minute. I thought about this. Uh, what about times when we are unconsciously led? What about times when we don't even know that we've been led by the spirit or that we've been led by God? I'm gonna put it that way. God has caused something to happen that turns out for our benefit. What about those times? I, uh, I remembered, uh, and as I was reflecting on this, what about uh, on 9-11 back in 2001 when the planes flew into the World Trade Center? I heard so many testimonies from different churches all around the New York City metroplex and over into New Jersey. And, I mean, I heard so many stories of Christians who just miraculously didn't go to work that day. They just didn't show up. Different things happened and, and they didn't really think anything about it at the time, but for some reason or another, they had to take time off and they didn't go to work that day. I remember uh, uh, Shekinah Glory, Cindy Duvall, Ray and Lois Toucher were in New Jersey that previous weekend. They were preaching for a pastor friend of mine, a good friend of my wife and mine. I mean, we, they were this pastor. He and his wife served with us as regional directors of RMAI for a number of years. We had great fellowship. We knew him very well. And Shekinah Glory was ministering in their church that previous weekend. And they had scheduled the pastor that was over in New Jersey But he had scheduled on that, I think it was a Tuesday, right? He had scheduled them because they were gonna stay over a few days and just relax and do some sightseeing in New York City. He had scheduled them to to take them to the World Trade Center that Tuesday morning on 9-11. They would have been right there. And they were planning on going. And the night before, 
Lois called the pastor, Lois Toucher called the pastor and said, you know what? I just don't want to go. I think, I think we're just going to skip this tomorrow and we're just not going to go. You think God was in that? Now, I called her when I heard that story. I picked up the phone and I called her. I wanted to drill down on this a little bit. I wanted to find out what's really going on. I said, Lois, tell me, were you conscious that the spirit of God was leading you? Did you have a witness or something in your heart? Did you sense that God was leading you not to go? She said, absolutely not. She said, I didn't sense anything in my spirit. She said, just, you know how you just decide one day you don't want to go do something? She said, I didn't perceive it as being spiritual. I didn't perceive that God was in it. I didn't perceive a warning or anything that there was danger. She said, I just, the night before she said, you know, to, to, to Sydney, she said, you know what? I just don't want to go tomorrow. And they said, well, we don't have to go then. Well, there are times God will influence you And there are times God will do things in the natural realm. Remember, when when Pastor Greg was praying over the offering, uh, he talked about ministering spirits. Go with me to Hebrews, uh, the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, and the very last verse, and if you go back up to verse 13, the verse before it, says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool? Speaking of the angels, he said, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, a lot of people need to know more about the Bible than they do. You think, you think that might be possible? There are a lot of Christians who don't even believe in angels. There's, there's two kinds of belief in the church. There's belief in doctrine. A lot of times people's doctrine is right, but they never act on it. It never has any practical influence in the life. They never experience anything. They never put any demand on it. That's not Bible faith. There are a lot of people who believe in angels in the sense, oh yeah, I know there's angels because the Bible says, Bible says they are, but they really don't believe in angels having any active ministry, at least where they're concerned. This verse says that, that they are all ministering spirits sent forth, that is sent forth by God, to minister for those. Now, a lot of people read that and read it this way, to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, will inherit salvation. Well, certainly they do minister to us, but that's not what this verse says. It says they have been sent to minister for us. So they go ahead of us. You know, when, when, you, when you go to a restaurant, a, a server comes out and he's ministering for you. He takes your order and then he goes back into the kitchen, delivers your order, makes sure your food is right, make sure it's on the plate right if he's doing his job, comes back... And, and make sure you are served. He's ministering for you. He's ministering to you, but he's also ministering for you. He's bringing things that you want. Well, angels have been sent forth by God to minister for the, those who will inherit salvation. That's us. Well, you know, the angels are always at work. Ministering, influencing things. But that is not what we're talking about. That's different than when you and I are actively seeking God's will. 
Those people who testified that just weird things came up, they suddenly had appointments that they didn't expect to have or that, you know, one thing or another, and they just called in and, and, and took a, a day off that day. Those people weren't praying about whether they should have gone to work that morning. They didn't get up every morning and go, now, you know, it's, a, it's Monday again. Lord, do you really want me to go to work? And Tuesday, you really want me to go to work? And, you know, it's midweek. You know, I could take time. Lord, do you think I ought to take the day off? They weren't doing that. They weren't seeking God's will. So even though God moved, he didn't move in answer to their cry for direction. Uh, Lois Toucher wasn't seeking God's will. She wasn't praying about whether they should go to the World Trade Center that day. But God evidently influenced her basic desire. So did he work in the natural realm? Yes, he did. But again, that's not what we're talking about. We're not, she, wasn't, she wasn't seeking to be led by the Spirit that day on, on that particular uh, subject. So when we're talking about being led by the Spirit, knowing God's will, that's something we need to discern. We need to, to, be, we need to have God lead us and in, in his direction for our lives. Those are things that we're praying about. No place does the Bible tell us he, that he leads by circumstances. We have a better option on the inside. We have a better provision on the inside, praise God. And he does lead us by his Spirit. There's, there is no doubt in my mind, and probably you would agree, there's no doubt in my mind that there have been many times that looking back, I can see God moved and kept me out of situations that I never even knew about until after something happened. Well, I wasn't praying about that. Other than in the sense, you know, just blessing the Lord and that you, you know, that you, your angels, you know, keep me in all my ways and all that sort of thing, just in general. And I'm also well satisfied there, there are, that there are even way more things that I have never known about that God has protected me from and kept me from. And, and I'm sure that's true for all of us. When we get to heaven, we're going to probably spend the first week and a half going, Wow. Wow, look how good you were. We had no idea how good you were to us. Amen? But when it comes to seeking God's will, when we know we have decisions to make and when we know that things are important, thank God he leads us by his spirit. Praise God. So we talked about three important ways. First of all, the most primary way he leads us is by the inward witness. It's the number one way and it's the most common way. And the inward witness is, is far and away uh, the more common, he leads us more commonly or more ordinarily through the inward witness than any other way by far, by far. Now that's the inward witness in our spirit when we just simply have a, a spiritual sense. I'm not talking about a mental something. We have just a, a witness in our spirit that we ought to do something. When you go to the, to the store and you just, you see somebody and all of a sudden they, you, they get your attention and you just have a, a knowing on the inside. I need to go to that person and talk to them. I need to just go there to them and just share Jesus with them. Just real simply, just say something. Just, you just know it. You don't hear anything. You don't see a blinding light. 
You don't see a, a, a airplane, you know, streak across the sky with your name and telling you to go talk to that person. You just have a knowing on the inside. That's the inward witness. You might have that inward witness where your job is concerned, where you're uh, on the job about different things, about how to conduct yourself. The spirit is always uh, 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 trying to direct us and help us every day of our lives in everything we do. Amen. Well, in all the, th- in, in all the things, or not everything, like I said before, illustrate, he's not guiding you as what socks to put on in the morning. I suppose if there was a reason he could, but ordinarily, but I'm talking about as you go through the day, things that you need to do, God will direct you, but primarily just by witnessing with your spirit, uh, in your spirit. It's an inward knowing, an inward intuition, an inward sense uh, that you ought to do or ought not to do something. That's the number one way. And then the second way he leads us is similar to that. It's not as often as the inward witness, but similar in, in where it comes from because it again comes on the inside and we call it that still small voice. And it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of your own spirit speaking to you. Your own spirit because your spirit is indwelt by God. God the Holy Spirit lives inside of your spirit and, and sometimes your spirit will pick up things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to say and your own spirit will say those things. And, and you just, on the inside, you just get direction like uh, you need to do this or you need to do that. I remember a number of years ago, just a good illustration. Uh, Pastor Angelo, back, this was back in the 1980s, she had a growth on her neck. And uh, it was a, you know, thyroid, uh, a growth on her thyroid. And uh, she, was, she was very concerned about it. We didn't have any insurance. Uh, we had no uh, health insurance at all. And uh, we were, actually the church was going through a difficult time at that time. And we were not taking any income, any pay from the church. And she had this thing and it was getting bigger and bigger. And she had gone to, I think she had gone to the doctor and he said, this needs to come out. We, we don't know what it is. We don't think it's anything serious, but we won't know till we take it out. And I know that she was concerned about it. And so I was at the office, you know, uh, down at the, at the old church and was in the, my office. And I was, I was praying about that. And in, on the inside of me, I heard these words, tell your wife, tell Angela to have the surgery It'll be fine. There's, it, it'll turn out fine, and she will live a uh, what? Live to be a ripe old age. <laughs> Tell Angela to go ahead and have the surgery. Everything will be all right. It's benign. They'll find out it's benign, and she will live to a ripe old age. Well, I just heard that on the inside. That, something spoke that to me, and you know who he sounded like? He sounded like me. Because it was me. It was my own spirit. It didn't come up out of here. These words came up on the inside of me. And so I just went home and told her. I, and I told her, I said, the Lord said, but he said it through my own spirit. I picked that up by the Holy Spirit. I picked that up in my spirit. And I just told her the, the, what, what the Lord said. But really, it was my own spirit speaking to me. So there is the still small voice of your own spirit. Sometimes, not, as, not nearly as often as the inward witness, but when you need it, sometimes you'll just, you'll just hear a, a word of direction. Usually it's real short and sweet. Right to the point. Amen. 
One time I was skiing and I, uh, I had just learned, I was just learning to ski. We were up in West Virginia and uh, I'd only skied a few times. And I, and I, you know, when you, when you don't start skiing until you're 40 something years old, that's not a good time to start. And particularly after you've blown the ACL out of your, uh, out of your knee, your right knee, you're very unstable to begin with in that regard. That's not, it's not easy to learn how to ski because you're very nervous about falling. You're very conscious that your knee can go out, you know. And, uh, and so I, I was struggling trying to learn to ski. And I fell a lot. I would, there's something called catching an edge, when you're skiing and you go to turn, if you don't lift up one ski slightly off the, off the you've got one ski that you, that you want to get an edge on to make you turn. The other ski you want to float on, on the top of the, on the snow, just barely on the surface of the snow. If you catch an edge on that ski, you're going to go down. It'll just throw you right down. And I had been doing that and we were skiing at night, that other little slope over there. And I, I, I'd been catching edges all day long, been throwing myself on the ground. And I started, I dipped into this little area, this little, this little drop off and it went around one of those big concrete uh, uh, tower posts, you know, that the, that the lift is, is built on. And I went down around that thing and I got in, it wasn't safe for me. I was following somebody. <laughs> and it wasn't safe for me to do that. And I knew better than that. Because just... I mean, it hadn't been five minutes before then. I'm skiing along and for no, right out of the clear blue, I wasn't even where I did it, I'm on the ground. Right out in the middle of the big wide downhill, you know, run. run. And here I, I went into this little thing by this mountain and on the inside of me, I heard my spirit say, what are you doing? <laughs> and and I, I thought, I'm not being smart. So I very carefully got out of that. I didn't go back down there that night. So sometimes you'll just, you'll just, your spirit will talk to you. We call it the voice of our conscience. The inward witness is more of just intuition, but then the inward voice is our conscience speaking. It's your spirit speaking to you. Like I said before, it'll sound like you. It'll sound just like you. Who else would it sound like? It's not going to sound like Deborah. It's going to sound like you. Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. So there is the inward voice. Thank God for that. And then we talked about last, uh, or last Sunday, I guess, the, the, the more powerful voice of the Holy Spirit. And this, I dare say, is rare. Rare, rare might not be the best word, but it's not frequent. People that, that tell you they heard the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Lord... Often, I think they're lying. Now, unless they're in, they're in a ministry office like a prophet where they are going to be given to those kinds of revelations. You know, someone who stands in the office, ministry office of a prophet, they're going to have revelation gifts and they're going to be hearing more consistently along those lines. But for the average Christian to say that the, that the, the, the Holy Spirit shook his, my world and spoke, you know, last week, next week, and the next week after that, I don't believe it. You can, you can say what you want to. I, just, I don't have to believe it. <laughs> and I don't. Because it's not necessary. There have been a few times in my life where the Spirit of God has spoken to me in that strong, authoritative voice. And, and you, you, you look around almost 
I mean, it, it's like it came from somewhere else, but then you realize it was in here, but it was so powerful. And, and it, it literally, in my experience, it literally stops you in your, in your steps, right where you are, and arrests you. And we don't need that kind of direction very often. So that's, that's, that's uncommon. I'll put it that way. It's uncommon. That might be better than saying it's rare. It's not common. And we need a word of caution here. It's unscriptural to seek voices. It's unscriptural to speak for, to seek that the Holy Spirit would speak to you that way. You have no promise that he's going to speak to you by that, by that bold, authoritative, world-shaking voice. You have no promise for that. You do have the promise to be led by the Spirit. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So, so it's, not, it's not healthy at all to seek voices, to seek for God to speak to you in these unusual ways. So with the time we have left today, let me, uh, let me talk about this. Here You have this question a lot that comes up about the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, when direction comes and you sense something or you hear your voice speaking. Is that just me or is that the Holy Spirit? Now, be honest, how many in here has asked yourself that question before? Was that just, is that just me? Is that just me or is that the Holy Spirit? Well, your spirit is you. Your spirit is the real you. We've been talking about sanctification on Wednesday nights. And if you, if you haven't uh, been here, you need to listen to the, to the recordings. It's important. But one of the verses we looked at over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless and to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray God that he sanctify you wholly. See, we are, we are spirits. We have a soul and we live in a physical body. This is a, a uh, it's an earth shaking, life defining revelation. Most all of the books in my library from denominational authors and, and uh, commentaries and different things like that. When it comes to trying to define and explain <clears throat> the inward man, you know, the Bible talks about the inward man and the outward. Though the, 2 Corinthians 4, though the outward, outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Most of, of the commentaries, and I would say 99% plus of all the denominational type commentaries and commentaries you know, that the authors come from traditional backgrounds, they, they see man as two-part, soul and spirit. And when they are, are soul and body, excuse me, soul and body, they see man as the inward man, the outward man, soul and body. And when they do deal with scriptures that deal with the spirit of man, when they try to explain, is there any difference between spirit and soul, they get it all mixed up. And most of the time they say, well, basically the spirit and the soul are the same. Some of them will just differentiate a little bit, but it, the body of, of teaching in the church is all over the place. It's not clear. It's not settled. It's, it's a confused mess. When, when God led Kenneth E. Hagin 
to teach on spirit, soul, and body. It was, it was the simplest. And when you, when you read Brother Hagin's teachings on the difference between the spirit, the soul, and the body, everybody I've ever known that's ever read that, that material, their reaction was, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly what's going on on the inside of me. He, now, I'm not saying that no one ever taught this before him, but, but he popularized and brought to the forefront, perhaps at first just in Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles rather, then word of faith circles, he pioneered the understanding that you are a spirit as a, as a person, whether you're a unsaved or unsaved, you are a spirit. You are not a soul. You are a spirit. That's, that's the part of you that is aware of God. It's the spirit of man that is born again. It's the spirit of man that exercises faith. We don't exercise faith with our soul and we don't exercise faith with our bodies, obviously. We exercise faith with our spirit. For with the heart, man believes. And heart is, a, is another term that's synonymous with our spirit. With the heart, with the spirit, man believes. So it's the spirit of man that's born again and that's the real you. Now you have a soul. And the soul, what makes up your soul is your mind, your will, emotions, that psychological type of, of identity that you have. That's your soulish man. You have a soul. Jesus talked about a person losing his soul. Well, if you lost your soul, how could you lose yourself? If you are a soul, how could you lose your soul? You are a soul. You are a spirit you can lose your soul because one of the most, most significant and important features of your soul is your right to choose. Your free will resides in your soul. Jesus talked about those who lose their souls by not putting their faith in him. And once a person dies here, if they've rejected Christ, they've lost their right to choose for the rest of eternity. They cannot do anything to affect their destiny ever again throughout eternity. They've lost their soul. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, and then your spirit and soul live inside your body. Now, since Brother Hagin started teaching that in the 1950s and early 60s when his books began to, and, and cassette tapes began to get some circulation, it really has revolutionized the entire church world, not just the, not just the spirit-filled church world. Now, uh, contemporary writers, contemporary theologians, contemporary people, then I have newer books, very often they're, they're identifying spirit, soul, and body. 50 years ago, that, that understanding was not in the body of Christ at large. And now it is, thank God. Praise God, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and of course, we live in a physical body. So your spirit is the real you. In the new birth, go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter five. In the new birth, you partook of God's divine nature. In the new birth, when you were born again, became a child of God, when you were saved, 
When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were born again, at that instant, you became a partaker of the nature of God. Look at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 5 and look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, that would include you, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you're a Christian, if anyone is in, cre- in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, you can see that your outward man's not new. I mean, nothing changed physically when you gave your life to the Lord. If you had a big bump on your nose before you believed on him, you still had a bump on your nose. That didn't change. And to a large degree, to some degree, your, your soulish man was affected, but to a very large degree, he wasn't affected. Your mind really wasn't affected. You still had the same memories, still had the same thoughts. Now, you added to that a love for the Lord, but your, your psychology, the, the psychological thing that defines your personality, and all, all of that's intact. That wasn't born again. Well, that only leaves one other thing, your spirit. If your soul wasn't born again, your body wasn't born again, must be your spirit. And your spirit became a new creation in Christ, a brand new creation. In other words, God, uh, he he performed a creative act, moved upon that old man, we talked about on Wednesday nights, that was dead in trespasses and sins. That man died with Christ and, and the spirit of God moved on that old man and nailed that man to the cross, put him away and in his place, in his place, we're not talking about a renovation. We're not talking about a redo. We're not talking about a reset. In his place, that old man is dead and gone God took your spirit man and that old man that was dead in trespasses and sin and nailed him to the cross. And in his place, because now you're absent, spirit, in his place, God created a brand new person, a brand new man, a brand new woman, a person that never existed before. No past, no past, no past, no sins from the past. No hang-ups, no trouble. Nothing following you. You were the work of a brand new creation. Oh, glory to God. Old things passed away. What happened to your old man? <laughs> Not talking about your husband. What happened, what happened to your old man? He passed away. <laughs> what happened to you, brother? Well, the person you used to knew, used to know, passed away. He's gone. Sorry, he's gone. The old man passed away and all things associated with him passed away and all things were became brand new. Glory to God. Now notice, and all things, all these not not it's not talking about your house. or your favorite sport, (laughs) all things pertaining to this, this new man that became new, all these new things are of God. 
First John said, you are of God, little children. Hallelujah. It's real popular these days for people to want to trace their ancestry. Find out how much of this I have and how much of that I have and who my, who my ancestors were and all of that. All of that is interesting, but more importantly, you, you, your, your lineage is linked directly to God. You are of God. Nothing in between. No generations, no ancestors, nothing, nothing uh, going through human means. When you were born again, boom, you became a direct, direct, one, one generation, one generation descendant of God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Go with me over to uh, 1 John, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 John 3. 1 John 3, hallelujah. Whoever has been born of God, how many of you have been born of God? Raise your hand if you've been born of God. Keep your hand up. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. How many is that true of? Keep your hand up. <laughs> Some, have some thought processes clicking off around here. <laughs> is the Bible true or isn't it? Now, see, I had a sister-in-law one time who, like a lot of people, used the Bible and, 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 and get the most negative things they can find out of it. And she was talking about one of my, another relative and reading from First John, another place it says, you know, he who doesn't love his brother, the love of God doesn't abide in him. He's not even saved, doesn't love his brother. And this, and this sister-in-law of mine, she's not a sister-in-law anymore. She said to, about this other person, well, they couldn't be saved because they don't love their brother. That's not what that says. It says that all those who are born, if you don't love your brother, then you don't have the love of God in you. But that's not saying you don't have the love of God in you. It's telling you, you do love your brother. I'm gonna say that again. It's not telling you that you don't have the love of God in you, that you're not of God. It's telling you that whether you realize it or not, you do love your brother. You're just allowing your flesh to control you where brother so-and-so is concerned. Because if you've been born of God, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, Romans chapter five tells us. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Well, if it's in there, if you've been born of God, it has to be in there. You are of God, little children. That's just the problem. We act like little children. <laughs> Real little children sometimes. Instead of taking the negative, take the positive. Now, if you know you're born again, if you, now, see, if you don't love your, if you really don't love your brother, then you couldn't be saved. But you know whether you're saved or not. How do you know? The spirit bore witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. You know you're saved because you know you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have God's word for it. 
If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as Lord, you're saved. So you do have the love of God. You just need to start acting on it. Well, let's get back to this verse. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Go, praise the Lord. Go with me over to the fifth chapter. Let's look at this here. First John five eighteen. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. I'll come, well, let me point this out. He said, whoever is born of God does not sin. Do you see that in verse 18? Go back up to verse 16. Do you think think the apostle John, or even better, the Holy Spirit forgot what he just said two verses before? Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother, that would be another Christian. That wouldn't be an unsaved person. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, He will ask, and he, God, will give him, the sinning brother, life. Give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Now, wait a minute. Those two things don't add up. He's telling us in verse 18 that whoever is born of God does not sin. If he's telling us it's impossible for a Christian to sin, then how in the world can you ever find a brother sinning? It, it, it ought to say in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin, you need to kick him out of the church. You need to take him by the nap of the neck and drag him down the altar and say, I thought you were saved, but you aren't. I want you to go through this again. Because <laughs> you sinned, so you couldn't be saved. Go back to uh, chapter three. Verse six says, whoever abides in him does not sin. That word abides, it's a verb. The, the, the Greek New Testament, the Greek, the New Testament is written in Greek and the Greek has some particular tenses that, that are a little more developed than what we have in the English. We have to use other words to add some of these other thoughts. But in the Greek, there's a, there's a tense that is a, it's, it's, it's the perfect tense and it has to do with the present, but it's a continuing action. It's, it's both now, but it's ongoing. It's not future. It's a present tense, but it's in the continual action sense, which is something we don't really have in English. We'd have to use some other words to add that. So when it says, whoever abides in him, I didn't, I, you nor, neither you nor I abide in Christ for a little while. And then you get out of Christ and then you get back into Christ and then you get out of Christ and then you get back into Christ. If When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You abide. It's something that happened on a particular day. 
There was a particular time in your life where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, made him Lord and Savior of your life. From at that point, you were placed into Christ and you, you abide in him now, just like it happened right now, but it's a continual action. This verb has that continual action. You don't, you don't, just, you don't just slip in and out of Christ like a, like a, a bad transmission. <laughs> kind of slips in and out of gear, you know. You ever had one of those? I have. Slip in the gear and out of gear. You're going down the road, whoops, slipped out of gear. We don't slip out of Christ. Whoever abides in him does not sin. That word sin is, is in, this, in this place, it's not a, a noun, it's a verb. It's talking about sinning, an action of sin. It's in that same perfect sense, that perfect, present, but continued action. Whoever is, is, abides in Christ does not abide in sin, does not, does not sin and keep on sinning. A person's character is not defined by what he does occasionally. A person's character is defined by what he does habitually. Because we all sometimes do things that are out of character from our real character. It's not consistent with our real character. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't define our character. It, it's an aberration. It's something that's, that's out of place. He who, has, who abides in Christ does not habitually ha- abide in sin. Can't be done. Can't be done. That's why when someone purports today that they know God... And yet they defend their sin. You remember, uh, what was a couple years ago, we had the, the lesbian come into our church? Listen, I will work with anybody as long as they won't help. This woman declared that she was a Christian. But she also declared that she was a lesbian And that it was okay that God made her this way and that he was pleased with her and this was his will and his plan for her life. Well, I'm not God. I don't know what's going on. Neither you nor I know what's transpired in a person's heart. But a person who, who lives in sin practices sin, defends their sin, and identifies their entire existence by that sin. That's what they are. You have to wonder if they're in Christ. I don't know, but the evidence is they're not in Christ. The evidence is they're not in Christ. Now, it's another thing if a person is stumbling in an area, that or any other area but they know it's wrong and they want help and they're trying to do better. They're not defending themselves. Well, I just believe God made me a liar. I I was born a liar. I've lied all my life. This is who I am. I'm a liar. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved, but I'm a liar and I'm proud of it. I tried to stop lying. And I tried to go straight and not be a liar. But I couldn't do it and I finally just realized God made me a liar and he's pleased with me. You have to question whether that person's saved. 
And we don't have those kinds of stupid arguments on any other sins. We don't have anybody in the church saying, you know, God made me a fornicator and adulterer and I, you know, it's just what I am and this is what, this is the way God made me. And he's pleased with me. So when they, when they can't have peace here, they'll go and find a, a, an adulterer's church, a fornicator's church. There are people who have homosexual churches and they lift their hands and worship the Lord and they, are you serious? You don't have any other sin like that. There are no liar churches. There's no, there's no church of the, of, the, of the first church of the thieves. Lock yourself down because we're all thieves. We're doing all of our giving online. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. There are no thieve churches. There are no idol-worshiping churches, maybe one or two that I can think of, but ordinarily. So there are no homosexual churches. They're playing religion. It's not true. But why? Well, this is, got off my message, but like Brother Hagin said, sometimes these side journeys are better than the main journey. <laughs> Verse six says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever, whoever habitually sins, whose lifestyle is one of sin, has never seen God nor known him. I don't care what they tell you. Paul said, do not be deceived by idle words. For the wrath of God comes upon people that commit these things. That's, that's, Mr. Grace said that. Amen. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, now notice, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, the Lord, is righteous. He who practices righteousness. See, if, when you got born again, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ. And I don't care, I don't even have to know you. You know, you could be a visitor here today if, and I don't even know anything about your background. If, if you are in Christ, you practice living right. Now you might have some, you might have some hiccups <laughs> along your way, but in general, you practice righteousness. You don't live like you used to live. There was a change that came into your life when you were saved. You are not the same person you used to be and you habitually practice righteousness. You might, you might miss a skip every now and then, miss a step, but just in, you practice. You see what I'm saying? He who practices sin, he who sins, can, this word is, is a verb and it's in the continual, the present continual action mode. He who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not habitually as a lifestyle sin. Here's why. This is the point that I was getting to before, I, before we'd spent more time on this. For his seed, God's seed remains in him and he cannot habitually sin because he has been born of God. Ooh, glory. 
So instead of taking this verse and trying to beat yourself up, take this verse for what it says and let it build you up. God's seed abides in you. You have been born of God. His nature is in you. It's what changed you. It's why you still, even though you might have some, some areas where you trip every now and then, you don't go to the same places you used to go. You don't hang out with the same crowd you used to hang out with. You don't sing the same songs you used to sing. You don't enjoy the same uh, uh, entertainment you once enjoyed. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't do the things you do. You're different. Why? Because God's seed is in his nature is in you. And you cannot do those things. You cannot do those things. You cannot live that way. You cannot. If you've been born again, that's true of every single one of you. And you know it. And those areas, and we've been talking about sanctification on Wednesday night. It's so important. I've t- I'm telling you on Wednesday nights how to live the sanctified life. You find out who you are, you find out what's true, and you start believing it. You start confessing it, you start acting on it. Because your sins, when you get out of character, when you step out of character, your character remains, but your, when your behavior is out of character, it causes you, excuse me, it causes you all kinds of trouble. And one of the biggest troubles it causes you is that, it's, that it, 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 it condemns you on the inside. Your conscience is smitten. The most unhappy, unfulfilled, tormented Christian there is is a Christian who just has never learned to put his flesh under. He, he lives in constant turmoil on the inside. Why? Because God's seed is in him. And he can't keep doing those things because when he does, his spirit man just drives him crazy over it. Well, praise the Lord. Thank God for that. Well, you mean condemnation is good? It, it's, God is bigger than we are. He knows everything. There's a, listen, there's a whole lot of things we're all doing wrong that we don't even know about. So let's just take care of the things we do know about. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I was answering the question, is it me or is it just the Holy Spirit? It is you because that's the real you. If it's coming from the inside of you, it is you. You can trust the inward witness. You can trust the inward voice. You can trust the leading of the Holy Spirit because God's seed, his nature remains in you. Well, praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.